We are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight, and we have read most of this chapter. We've read verses 1 through 11 about four or five times, Uh, but tonight uh, we'll pick it up in verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. So 1 Corinthians 12, let's go ahead and stand together and read it, beginning in verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gift of gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you still a more excellent way. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your clear word in regard to spiritual gifts. And Lord, uh, we see here in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, how we are to look at the gifts and how important they are and how they're to be utilized. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in that, that this would be something that is more than just uh, uh, head knowledge, but it would be something that that we would diligently apply and, and be faithful to Utilize our spiritual gifts for your purpose and your glory. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen the church through this. And, Lord, that we can be all you want us to be. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is part six. Uh, and we're not done, but uh, we should be able to make our way through the rest of chapter 12 tonight. Understanding spiritual gifts. And so far in our study on spiritual gifts, we have looked at the importance of spiritual gifts. They are vitally important in the life of the church. We've looked at the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And I'm impressed because they're getting all this up here. Uh, The purpose of the gifts to build up the body of Christ and to preserve the unity in the church. We looked at the diversity of spiritual gifts. We are all idiots. We're all unique. We are all spiritual snowflakes. I always look at Pastor John when I say that. Uh, We looked at the categories of spiritual gifts, and uh, we saw three categories. The gifted men spent some time on that. And then the permanent edifying gifts. Those are gifts that are given for the life of the church. And then last time we looked at the temporary sign gifts, those gifts that were given temporarily to authenticate the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. Now, tonight, we're going to go through the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to examine the analogy of spiritual gifts, the analogy of spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 31, Paul has a very important and practical word for us on the subject of one body and many gifts. That's the idea. One body, many gifts. Here he uses the human body as an illustration of the church. And I believe that in many ways... The church has lost the concept of what it is to be and do. The church in America has lost this biblical concept. For example, if I were to ask tonight, is the church an organization, the vast majority of Christians today would say yes. But that's not what the Bible says. The church is not an organization. It is a living organism. It is not to be operated like a business run by paid professionals using Madison Avenue gimmicks. It is not to be viewed as a country club or as a community social center. That's not what it is. It is a living organism, and it is the very body of Christ, the family of God. It is different from an organization. Now, that's not to say the church should not be organized. Of course, it should be organized. But we must remember it is a living organism. It takes a lot more than organization to be, God, to be what God wants us to be. I mean, think about it. A corpse is organized, but it's not alive. A cemetery is organized... But the church is alive. Pulsating through us is the anios zoe, the very life of God. And everyone who is part of the body of Christ is a living part. Nobody 
is intended to be merely a spectator. Every member is important. But the Corinthian church was not functioning like a body. They were crippled, chaotic, carnal, immature, immoral, selfish, pride, divisive, and jealous. They were tolerating open sin. They were suing one another in pagan courts. They had allowed pagan practices to enter into the church. They had desecrated the Lord's Supper, and we could go on and on. As a result of all this, the body of Christ was distorted, and the image of Christ in the world was lost. That church was not a good representation of Christ in the world. So as Paul reaches chapter 12, the indication that he gives is that in no other area was there more discord or disunity evident than in the area of spiritual gifts. Satan had counterfeited some of the gifts, and they had fallen for the counterfeit. Everybody was chasing after the showy gifts, the public speaking gifts, especially the gift of tongues, and terrible chaos was the result. And when we get to chapter 14, we'll see how bad that chaos was. But people who did not have the showy gifts felt inferior People who did have them felt superior. There were people grumbling and complaining because they couldn't get certain gifts, while others were lording it over the ones who didn't have those gifts. So Paul addresses the situation by using this analogy of the human body, and that's what we're going to see here. He begins with a description of the analogy. Paul develops this analogy along four lines. Four lines. Unity, diversity, sovereignty, and harmony. Those are the four lines. Unity, diversity, sovereignty, and harmony. So we're going to look at these four. Let's look, first of all, at unity. Look with me at verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members... And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into, notice, one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And the point's simple here. A body is one, and yet it has many members. We're all placed into one body by the baptism of the Spirit. We're all indwelt by that same Spirit. Because of that, there should be no spiritual loners in the church. There should be no one out on their own. We're all members of the body. There are to be no spectators. There are to be no drifters just kind of out there doing their own thing. 
Why? Because we're all part of the body of Christ. We're all part of His family. And the life of the very Spirit of God is flowing through us. So every single member of the body is as vital to the organism as any other part. This is the picture that he's painting. Even those who are not attending are still important parts of the body. And if someone is not assembling themselves together with the rest of the body, they, in fact, are hurting the body because they're vital members of it. And there are no degrees of importance in the body. Every member of the body is just as important and just as needed as any other member. So Paul begins with the unity of the body, but then he changes the focus to diversity. Diversity. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. There are many different parts of the body, and all those parts are important. You know, we could uh, use all kinds of examples, but just imagine an automobile factory where everybody does the same job. You know, you have this factory, and everybody's putting the bumper on. Well, you could have some really fine bumpers, but if you don't have the rest of the car to put the bumper on, that's not going to do a whole lot of good. And we could use all kinds of other examples and illustrations, but that's what Paul's saying here. You know, that might sound ridiculous, but this is often how it is today in the church in regard to spiritual gifts. Especially in the charismatic wing of the church, everybody's chasing how many gifts? One gift, primarily. It certainly was how it was in Corinth. And the church was very chaotic as a result of that. And many of the gifts were being neglected, and they were all chasing after the show he gives. The Corinthian believers were really saying, if you don't have a particular gift, you haven't arrived. You're you're not really spiritual. You know, God probably doesn't love you. Charismatics today are saying some of the same kind of things. And interestingly, it is the same gift that the Corinthians were chasing, the gift of tongues. And what was the result? Well, the result was all these other gifts are being neglected, other things, other, the church is being weakened, it's being crippled as a result. Now, another result was there were, there were more divisions in the church. Remember, the proper uh, practice and application of the gifts helps to preserve the unity of the body. And so there was a lot of division because they were all chasing after a certain gift. In 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine, Paul asks, is everyone supposed to be an apostle? What would be the answer to that? No, of course not. Is everyone supposed to be a prophet? Is everyone supposed to be a teacher? Is everyone supposed to work miracles? Is everyone supposed to heal? Is everyone supposed to speak with languages? Is everyone supposed to interpret? And the answer to all of those questions is, of course not. And, of course, this was written in a day when those miracle sign gifts were still active. But this is exactly 
what the Corinthian believers were falling into. They were all pursuing the showy gifts. And today, it's the very same thing all over again. Charismatics are all chasing the very same gift. But Paul's point is clear. A body is one because it has all the necessary functioning parts. It has all the parts that a body needs. And all the parts are different. And they all complement one another. And they all work together to make the body what it's supposed to be. Listen, we had all better be operating our spiritual gifts or the body is not going to be functioning properly. And it's not going to be presenting a proper picture of Jesus to the world. That's why spiritual gifts are so important. When there are some of the living, breathing members of the church that are not ministering through the use of their gifts, they jam up the proper functioning of the body. You need to find out what your gifts are and use them for the sake of the body of Christ. So what often happens in the church is that we end up having to train a foot to be a hand, and we have to train an eye to be an ear. We have to compensate for those parts of the body that are not functioning. And yet, it doesn't work nearly as well when we do that because we don't have the right parts in the right place. And one of the reasons why we often revert to making the church an uh, organization instead of an organism is because of the failure of some of the parts to function as they should. Listen, diversity is not accidental. It is planned by God. And any believer who does not have a ministry is a contradiction. That is a denial of God's right to use us as He desires and as He has gifted us. Thirdly, Paul talks about sovereignty. Look with me at verse 18. But now the pastor has placed the... Oh, no, no, that's not what it says. But now the elders and deacons have... No. But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. Notice the last part of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. And look at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. See the variety there. God has designed every member of the body. He did not crank out a monotonous line of uniform Christians. Each member of the body is unique, and that is all by God's design. And God has placed those members in His body as He desires. 
Now, the word for placed or set there in verse 18 refers to the act of divine appointment. In other words, just as God planned the physical body with all its various parts, so God has planned the church. God has placed the members in the church as he sees fit. So how many of the members has God placed in the body as it pleases him? How many? All of them. Are we a part of that decision? No. We don't get to choose. It's all up to God. Do we get a voice in that? No. God decides. God decides. So listen, anytime you and I are not content with the gifts he has given us, we are really rebelling against the sovereignty of God. We are acting like the imaginary antagonist in Romans 9.20, saying to the potter, why have you made me like this? When we question the gifts that he's given to us. Listen, folks, the dignity of the body of Christ does not belong with those with the showy gifts. It does not belong to those up front. The dignity of the body belongs to every member because every member is what he or she is by the sovereign design of God. Verse 18 says, just as he desired. Please remember this. A Christian never chooses his own gift. We, we don't get to choose. You and I have no part in that determination. God is the one who decides. I mean, can you imagine what kind of chaos and trouble there would be in the church if we all got to choose our own gifts? And, and most of us would be totally unprepared for that. Can you imagine how many of the gifts would be neglected? That's how it was in the Corinthian church. Folks, there's not a single command in all the Word of God to seek a specific gift. Now, some think 1 Corinthians 12.31 teaches that, but we're going to see it really doesn't when we get to it. There is no place in the church to be discontent with our gifts. There's no place for selfishness. There's no place for conceit and pride. Why? Because God gives the gifts as it pleases Him. God is the one who has saved us. He is the one who has placed us in the body. He is the one who has given us the spiritual gifts that He's given us. So Paul really is saying to the Corinthians, quit chasing after the showy gifts. Stop doing that. Listen, if you chase after a spiritual gift, will you get it? No. You don't get to choose. God's the one who chooses. So if you chase after a gift that you don't have, what are you going to get? You're going to get a counterfeit. You're going to get a counterfeit. And unfortunately, we see a lot of that today. But God has so composed the body, verse 24 says. The word for composed there is a word that means mixed together. This is often used of 
uh, mixing colors. This is uh, artist terminology. It speaks of a harmonious blending of colors and hues in just the right combination as to produce a masterpiece. God not only gifts you, but he places you in the body in just the right place as a skillful artist would. In other words, you are a divine appointment by the master artist. And God blends the gifts together in a perfect way to accomplish his own purposes. And folks, we need to recognize the sovereignty of God in choosing our spiritual gifts, and we need to quit chasing those that we don't have. Lastly, we see the principle of harmony. The principle of harmony. Whenever the first three are functioning as they should, there will be harmony. And Paul dives right into this concept of harmony by showing the foolishness of anything other than harmony. And he covers it from two different angles. First, the people who thought they were nothing and envied the ones with the showy gifts. And second, the people with the showy gifts who thought the other people were nothing. He comes at it from both directions. Let's look first at the harmony of inferiority. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for that reason any the less a part of the body. Now, the foot is not usually a beautiful part of the body. I mean, if your feet look like mine, you usually keep them covered up. But the principle that Paul is giving here is that no member of the body, by complaining or depreciating its own importance, can accomplish removal from the body. Just because you think you're not important does not eliminate your responsibility simply because you're not happy with who you are. You cannot remove yourself from a God-given responsibility to use your spiritual gifts for the building up of the body just because you wish you had different gifts than the ones you have. Verse 16 says, If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Whatever your gift, it is essential and it is needed, and God wants it operating in the church. You can't say, oh, I'm not important. I'm not needed. That's not true biblically. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? It would not make a lot of sense if everybody had the same gift. And yet, it is amazing that people today keep telling us that all we need uh, to get this, uh, that we all need to get this one gift or we're not really spiritual and we might not even be a Christian. That's not true. There's no place in the body for envying another gift. One organ of the body, no matter how important, cannot survive alone. 
You, you just can't take an organ out by itself and think that that's going to be a body. It's not. It takes all the other parts of the body. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. God didn't leave the body for us to figure it out. He didn't say, go out and get organized. He said, be an organism and I will run it. And I will cause it to be blessed. Verse 19 And if they were all one member, where would the body be? The Corinthians all wanted the same gift. So Paul says, all that you're going to end up with, if you just chase after one gift, is you're going to end up with like one big eye. That's it. That's not a body. What kind of body is that? And so the summary of this point is found in verse 20. But now there are many members, but one body. Here's the point. Don't think yourself inferior. You're not inferior. Don't underestimate your importance to the body. You are vital to the body. You are needed in the body. You have to be here. You have to have your gifts functioning. But the other side is also a danger So let's look, secondly, at the disharmony of superiority. In verses 21 to 26, Paul's point is this. Don't think yourself superior. So the first one, don't think yourself inferior. Now, don't think of yourself as superior. Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This was what was going on in the Corinthian assembly. Many people were overestimating their own sense of importance. And the people with the fancy, showy, public speaking gifts were assuming that they did not need the other people. That in essence, those people were nothing. And they thought they were the spiritual superstars. They were the celebrities. They were the spiritual elite, superior, hot shots. But you see, that's not right biblically. You can't say, I have no need of you. There is a tremendous need for complete dependence in the body of Christ. We are absolutely dependent on one another. Every single one of us. Look at verse 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. There's a good King James word. Eyes and ears and hands and feet are nice, but you can't live without any of them. And yet there are weak members of your body you absolutely cannot live without. What are these? The vital organs of your body. The lungs, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the stomach, etc. That are 
these are completely hidden from you, and yet they're absolutely essential for sustaining life. And listen, every single member of the church is critical. It doesn't matter whether they're up front or if anybody knows how they're exercising their gifts. They may be doing that completely behind the scenes. But they're absolutely critical. And the Corinthians had failed to be kind, considerate, and protective of those who did not have the gift of prophecy or the gift of languages or the gift of healing, the out front gifts. In addition to that, they had failed to protect the weaker parts of the body. In relation to our physical bodies, we cover up and protect certain parts of our bodies because they are less attractive or indecent. When we clothe these parts of the body, we are really adding to their honor, Paul says. The principle here is the less the natural grace and appeal, the greater effort to adorn. And the application being made for the church is that the behind-the-scenes parts of the body should be shown special attention and devotion because of their ultimate importance. And Paul is saying it's not the place for the highbrow members of the body to say, I don't need you. That member of the body really ought to say, I know that I am the only protection you have, so I want to care for you and bestow on you more abundant honor. And instead of living with the attitude of spiritual rugged individualism, we really should be busy making sure that we stop to honor the people who don't normally receive the honor. And that's the kind of love that Paul's going to talk about in chapter 13. He says in verse 24, Whereas our seemly members have no need of it, that is more abundant honor, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Listen, you may be a beautiful eye ear, hand, or foot, but you could be cut off and the rest of the body would still survive. But if you happen to be one of the vital organs, you can't be removed because you're too important. And that's how equalized the members of the body of Christ are. The people with the showy gifts aren't nearly as vital as the people with the support Ministries. Look at verse 25. That there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This, this should be something natural in the church. We, if somebody is honored, we ought to all rejoice with that one who is honored. If someone's hurting, we should all gravitate to that one who is hurting. God wants us all equalized as far as a sense of importance is concerned. God wants this beautiful, 
unity. He has designed this compensation in order that there might be real unity. When one of one part of the body hurts, you don't you don't say, "Well, it doesn't matter because the rest of me feels great." I mean, listen, if if you're if your toes throbbing, I mean, you don't feel good anywhere, right? I mean, your whole body's hurting. If you've got a headache, you don't say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. The rest of me feels great. No, where's the focus? The focus, man, my head is killing me. If any part of the body is hurting, the whole body is affected by that. And listen, if there's someone in the body that falls morally, all of us should run to that one member who has fallen and build them back up and appeal to them to repent and practice church discipline. But we've got to, it's like if you have an infection, you've got to go to the, that infection and you've got to deal with it. And so when one part of the body's hurting, the whole body is affected by it. So, rivalry in the church over spiritual gifts should never happen. should never happen. In fact, that ought to be insane to us, that there would be rivalry in the church over spiritual gifts. The only thing really that matters is how we treat each other. That we treat each other with love. And that's going to be the theme of the next chapter. And this flows, of course, right into chapter 13. Now, beginning in verse 27, Paul gives us the application. He gives us the application here. Really, verses 27 through 30, this is the application. We read that a few minutes ago. And really what he's saying is this. He's saying in verse 27, he's saying, remember your unity. In verse 28, he's saying, remember your diversity. And in verses 29 and 30, he's saying, remember God's sovereignty. And if we'll remember those three things, we'll be in good shape. Remember your unity. Remember your diversity. Remember God's sovereignty. And then he makes an appeal in verse 31. But since that is such an important verse... For us to properly understand, it's going to take a little time to develop that. I'm going to save that for next time as we move into chapter 13. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that you've given to us concerning spiritual gifts. And Lord, we pray by your grace and by your mercy, we might practice these things. And Lord, help us be diligent about them. Help us as individual believers to know how important it is that our gifts are functioning. And help us to have the desire to utilize these gifts to their fullest capacity. And Lord, help all of us to know that every single person has a ministry. Every single believer has been gifted by you. And that you want us to be using our gifts for your purposes to build up your church. Help us to do that. And help us to do it this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.